0: Chapter 3, Section 3, Part B of Capital, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Capital, A Critical Analysis of Capitalist Production, Volume 1, by Karl Marx. Translated from the Third German Edition by Samuel Moore and Edward Aveling, and edited by Friedrich Engels. Part 1. Commodities and money. Chapter three. Money or the circulation of commodities. Section three. Money. Part b. Means of payment. In the simple form of the circulation of commodities hitherto considered, we found a given value always presented to us in a double shape, as a commodity at one pole, as money at the opposite pole. The owners of commodities came therefore into contact as the respective representatives of what were already equivalents. But with the development of circulation, conditions arise under which the alienation of commodities becomes separated, by an interval of time, from the realization of their prices. It will be sufficient to indicate the most simple of these conditions. One sort of article requires a longer, another a shorter time for its production. Again, the production of different commodities depends on different seasons of the year. One sort of commodity may be born on its own marketplace another has to make a long journey to market. Commodity owner number one may therefore be ready to sell before number two is ready to buy. When the same transactions are continually repeated between the same persons, the conditions of sale are regulated in accordance with the conditions of production. On the other hand, the use of a given commodity, of a house, for instance, is sold, in common parlance, let, for a definite period. Here it is only at the end of the term that the buyer has actually received the use-value of the commodity. He therefore buys it before he pays for it. The vendor sells an existing commodity, the purchaser buys as the mere representative of money, or rather of future money. The vendor becomes a creditor, the purchaser becomes a debtor. Since the metamorphosis of commodities, or the development of their value form, appears here under a new aspect, money also acquires a fresh function it becomes the means of payment. The character of creditor or of debtor results here from the simple circulation. The change in the form of that circulation stamps buyer and seller with this new die. At first, therefore, these new parts are just as transient and alternating as those of seller and buyer, and are in turns played by the same actors. But the opposition is not nearly so pleasant, and is far more capable of crystallization." The same characters can, however, be assumed independently of the circulation of commodities. The class struggles of the ancient world took the form chiefly of a contest between debtors and creditors, which in Rome ended in the ruin of the plebeian debtors. They were displaced by slaves. In the Middle Ages the contest ended with the ruin of the feudal debtors, who lost their political power together with the economic basis on which it was established. Nevertheless, the money relation of debtor and creditor that existed at these two periods reflected only the deeper-lying antagonism between the general economic conditions of existence of the classes in question. Footnote: The following shows the debtor and creditor relations existing between English traders at the beginning of the eighteenth century. Such a spirit of crudity reigns here in England among the men of trade that is not to be met with in any other society of men nor in any other kingdom of the world. An Essay on Credit and the Bankrupt Act, London. End note. Let us return to the circulation of commodities. The appearance of the two equivalents, commodities and money, at the two poles of the process of sale, has ceased to be simultaneous. The money functions now, first as a measure of value in the determination of the price of the commodity sold, the price fixed by the contract measures, the obligation of the debtor, or the sum of money that he has to pay at a fixed date. Secondly, it serves as an ideal means of purchase. Although existing only in the promise of the buyer to pay, it causes the commodity to change hands. It is not before the day fixed for payment that the means of payment actually steps into circulation, leaves the hand of the buyer for that of the seller. The circulation medium was transformed into a hoard, because the process stopped short after the first phase, because the converted shape of the commodity, viz., the money, was withdrawn from circulation. The means of payment enters the circulation, but only after the commodity has left it. The money is no longer the means that brings about the process. It only brings it to a close, by stepping in as the absolute form of existence of exchange value, or as the universal commodity. The seller turned his commodity into money, in order thereby to satisfy some want. The hoarder did the same in order to keep his commodity in its money shape, and the debtor in order to be able to pay. If he do not pay, his goods will be sold by the sheriff. The value form of commodities, money, is therefore now the end and aim of a sale, and that, owing to a social necessity, springing out of the process of circulation itself. The buyer converts money back into commodities before he has turned commodities into money. In other words, he achieves the second metamorphosis of commodities before the first. The seller's commodity circulates and realizes its price, but only in the shape of a legal claim upon money. It is converted into a use value before it has been converted into money. The completion of its first metamorphosis follows only at a later period. FOOTNOTE it will be seen from the following quotation from my book, which appeared in 1859, why I take no notice in the text of an opposite form. Contrariwise, in the process, in money, commodity, the money can be alienated as a real means of purchase, and in that way the price of the commodity can be realized before the use-value of the money is realized, and the commodity is actually delivered. This occurs constantly under everyday form of prepayments and it is under this form that the English government purchases opium from the Riots of India. In these cases, however, the money always acts as a means of purchase. Of course, capital also is advanced in the shape of money. This point of view, however, does not fall within the horizon of simple circulation. Zur Critic, page 119, 120. The obligations falling due within a given period represent the sum of the prices of the commodities, the sale of which gave rise to these obligations. The quantity of gold necessary to realize this sum depends, in the first instance, on the rapidity of currency of the means of payment. The quantity is conditioned by two circumstances. First, the relations between debtors and creditors form a sort of chain, in such a way that A, when he received money from his debtor B, straightway hands it over to C, his creditor, and so on, the second circumstance is the length of the intervals between the different due dates of the obligations. The continuous chain of payments, or retarded first metamorphosis, is essentially different from that interlacing of the series of metamorphoses which we considered on a former page. By the currency of the circulating medium, the connection between buyers and sellers is not merely expressed. This connection is originated by, and exists in, the circulation alone contrary the movement of the means of payment expresses a social relation that was in existence long before. The fact that a number of sales take place simultaneously and side by side limits the extent to which coin can be replaced by the rapidity of currency. On the other hand, this fact is a new lever in economizing the means of payment. In proportion as payments are concentrated at one spot, special institutions and methods are developed for their liquidation. Such, in the Middle Ages, were the viraments at Lyon. The debts due to A from B, from B to C, to C from A, and so on, have only to be confronted with each other, in order to annul each other to a certain extent, like positive and negative quantities. There thus remains only a single balance to pay. The greater the amounts of the payments concentrated, the less is this balance relatively to that amount, and the less is the mass of the means of payment in circulation. The function of money as the means of payment implies a contradiction without a terminus medius. In so far as the payments balance one another, money functions only ideally as money of account, as a measure of value. In so far as actual payments have to be made, money does not serve as a circulating medium, as a mere transient agent in the interchange of products, but as the individual incarnation of social labor, as the independent form of existence of exchange value, as the universal commodity. This contradiction comes to a head in those phases of industrial and commercial crisis which are known as monetary crises. Such a crisis occurs only where the ever-lengthening chain of payments, and an artificial system of settling them, has been fully developed. Whenever there is a general and extensive disturbance of this mechanism, no matter what its cause, money becomes suddenly and immediately transformed, from its merely ideal shape of money of account into hard cash profane commodities can no longer replace it the use value of commodities become valueless and their value vanishes in the presence of his own independent form on the eve of the crisis the bourgeoisie with the self-sufficiency that springs from intoxicating prosperity declares money to be a vain imagination commodities alone are money but now the cry is everywhere money alone is a commodity As the heart pants after fresh water, so pants his soul after money, the only wealth. In a crisis, the antithesis between commodities and their value form, money, becomes heightened into an absolute contradiction. Hence, in such events, the form under which money appears is of no importance. The money famine continues, whether payments have to be made in gold or in credit money, such as bank-notes. Footnote The monetary crisis referred to in the text, being a phase of every crisis, must be clearly distinguished from the particular form of crisis, which is also called a monetary crisis, but which may be produced by itself as an independent phenomenon, in such a way as to react only indirectly on industry and commerce. The pivot of these crises is to be found in moneyed capital, and their sphere of direct action is therefore the sphere of that capital, viz. banking, the stock exchange, and finance, End note. NOTE. The sudden reversion from a system of credit to a system of hard cash heaps theoretical fright on top of the practical panic, and the dealers by whose agency circulation is effected shudder before the impenetrable mystery in which their own economic relations are involved. Karl Marx first c page one twenty six. The poor stand still because the rich have no money to employ them, though they have the same land and hands to provide victuals and clothes as ever they had, which is the true riches of a nation, and not the money. John Bellers, Proposals for Raising a College of Industry, London, 1696, page 3. End note. Footnote. The following shows how such times are exploited by the Amis du commerce. On one occasion, 1839, an old, grasping banker in the city, in his private room, raised the lid of the desk he sat over, and displayed to friend rolls of bank-notes, saying with intense glee there were six hundred thousand pounds of them, they were held to make money tight, and would all be let out after three o'clock on the same day. The Theory of Exchanges, the Bank Charter Act of 1844. London, eighteen sixty four, page eighty one. The Observer, a semi-official government organ, contained the following paragraph on the twenty fourth of April, eighteen sixty four. Some very curious rumors are current of the means which have been resorted to in order to create a scarcity of bank-notes questionable as it would seem to suppose that any trick of the kind would be adopted the report has been so universal that it really deserves mention End note. if we now consider the total sum of the money current during a given period we shall find that given the rapidity of currency of the circulating medium and of the means of payment It is equal to the sum of the prices to be realized, plus the sum of the payments falling due, minus the payments that balance each other, minus, finally, the number of circuits in which the same piece of coin serves, in turn, as a means of circulation and of payment. Hence, even when prices, rapidity of currency, and the extent of the economy in payments are given, the quantity of money current and the mass of commodities circulating during a given period, such as a day, no longer correspond money that represents commodities long withdrawn from circulation continues to be current commodities circulate whose equivalent in money will not appear on the scene till some future day moreover the debts contracted each day and the payments falling due on the same day are quite incommensurable quantities footnote the amount of purchases or contracts entered upon during the course of any given day will not affect the quantity of money afloat on that particular day but in the vast majority of cases will resolve themselves into multifarious drafts upon the quantity of money which may be afloat at subsequent dates more or less distant the bills granted or credits opened to-day need have no resemblance whatever either in quantity amount or duration to those granted or entered upon to-morrow or the next day nay many of to-day's bills and credits when due Fall in with a mass of liabilities whose origins traverse a range of antecedent dates altogether indefinite. Bills at twelve, six, three months, or one often aggregate together to swell the common liabilities of one particular day. The currency theory reviewed in a letter to the Scottish people, by a banker in England, Edinburgh, 1845, pages 29, 30. Passim. Note. Credit money springs directly out of the function of money as a means of payment. Certificates of the debts owing for the purchased commodities circulate for the purpose of transferring those debts to others. On the other hand, to the same extent as the system of credit is extended, so is the function of money as a means of payment. In that character it takes various forms peculiar to itself, under which it makes itself at home in the sphere of great commercial transactions." gold and silver coin on the other hand are mostly relegated to the sphere of retail trade footnote as an example of how little ready money is required in true commercial operations i give below a statement by one of the largest london houses of its yearly receipts and payments its transactions during the year eighteen fifty six extending to many millions of pounds sterling are here reduced to the scale of one million receipts bankers and merchants bills payable after a certain date £533,596. Pounds. Checks on bankers, etc., payable on demand, £357,715. Pounds. Country Notes, Nine million six hundred twenty-seven pounds Bank of England Notes, £68,554. Pounds. Gold, £28,089. Pounds. Silver and Copper, £1,486. Pounds. POST OFFICE ORDERS, £933. PAYMENTS BILLS PAYABLE AFTER A CERTAIN DATE, £302,674. CHECKS ON LONDON BANKERS, £663,672. BANK OF ENGLAND NOTES, £22,743. GOLD, £9,427. SILVER AND COPPER, £1,484. From the Report from the Select Committee on the Bank Acts, July 1858 When the production of commodities has sufficiently extended itself, money begins to serve as the means of payment beyond the sphere of the circulation of commodities. It becomes the commodity that is the universal subject matter of all contracts. Rents, taxes, and such like payments are transformed from payments in kind into money payments. To what extent this transformation depends upon the general conditions of production is shown to take one example, by the fact that the Roman Empire twice failed in its attempt to levy all contributions in money. The unspeakable misery of the French agricultural population under Louis the Fourteenth, a misery so eloquently denounced by Beuils-Gilbert, Marshal Vauban, and others, was due not only to the weight of taxes, but also to the conversion of taxes in kind into money taxes in asia on the other hand the fact that state taxes are chiefly composed of rents payable in kind depends on conditions of production that are reproduced with the regularity of natural phenomena and this mode of payment tends in its turn to maintain the ancient form of production it is one of the secrets of the conservation of the ottoman empire if the foreign trade forced upon japan by europeans should lead to the substitution of money rents for rents in kind It will be all up with the exemplary agriculture of that country. The narrow economic conditions under which that agriculture is carried on will be swept away. Footnote. The course of trade being thus turned, from exchanging of goods for goods, or delivering and taking, to selling and paying, all the bargains are now stated upon the foot of a price in money. An Essay in Public Credit. Third Edition. London, 1710, page 8. Endnote footnote Money has become the executioner of all things. Finance is the alembic that evaporates a frightful quantity of goods and commodities in order to obtain this fatal extract. Money declares war on the whole human race. Bois-Gilbert, Dissertation sur la nature des richesses, de l'argent et des tributs. Edition des économistes financiers. Paris, 1843. Pages four thirteen, four nineteen, four seventeen. 419, 417. Note. In every country certain days of the year become by habit recognized settling days for various large and recurrent payments. These dates depend, apart from other revolutions, in the wheel of reproduction, on conditions closely connected with the seasons. They also regulate the dates for payments that have no direct connection with the circulation of commodities, such as taxes, rents, and so on. The quantity of money requisite to make the payments, falling due on those dates all over the country, causes periodical, though merely superficial, perpetuations in the economy of the medium of payment. On Whitsuntide, 1824, says Mr. Craig before the Commons Committee of 1826, there was an immense demand for notes upon the banks of Edinburgh, that by eleven o'clock they had not a note left in their custody. They sent round to all the different banks to borrow, but could not get them, and many of the transactions were adjusted by slips of paper only. Yet by three o'clock the whole of the notes were returned into the banks from which they had issued. It was a mere transfer from hand to hand. Although the average effective circulation of bank-notes in Scotland is less than three millions sterling, yet on certain pay-days in the year every single note in the possession of the bankers, amounting in the whole to about seven million pounds, is called into activity. On these occasions the notes have a single and specific function to perform, and so soon as they have performed it, they howl back into the various banks from which they issued. See John Fullerton, Regulation of Currencies, London, 1845, page 86. An explanation, it should be stated, that in Scotland, at the date of Fullerton's work, notes, and not checks, were used to withdraw deposits. End note. From the Law of the Rapidity of Currency of the Means of Payment, it follows that the quantity of the means of payment required for all periodical payments, whatever their source, is in inverse proportion to the length of their periods. Footnote Note by the Institute of Marxism-Leninism in the Russian edition. Apparently a slip of the pen. When writing "favors," the author evidently meant direct. End note. Footnote to the question, if there were occasion to raise forty millions P.A., whether the same six millions gold would suffice for such revolutions and circulations thereof, as trade requires. Petty replies, in his usual masterly manner, I answer yes, for the expense being forty millions, if the revolutions were in such short circles, viz., weekly, as happens among poor artisans and laborers, who receive and pay every Saturday, then forty out of fifty-two parts of one million of money would answer these ends. But if the circles be quarterly, according to our system of paying rent, and gathering taxes, then ten millions were requisite. Wherefore, supposing payments in general to be of a mixed circle between one week and thirteen, then add ten millions to forty out of fifty-two, the half of which will be five and one-half, so as if we had five and a half millions we have enough. William Petty, Political Anatomy of Ireland, 1672, edition, London, 1691, pages 13 and 14, and note. The development of money into a medium of payment makes it necessary to accumulate money against the dates fixed for the payment of the sums owing. While hoarding, as a distinct mode of acquiring riches, vanishes with the progress of civil society, the formation of reserves of the means of payment grows with that progress. End of chapter 3, section 3, part b.